Welcome back to the Overboard Show, live from Palma de Mallorca. And uh, we are joined by Nina Jensen, if I say it correctly in the Norwegian way, <laughs> yes. um, who is the CEO of RevOcean.org. I'll use the .org bit, but it's uh, an organization. It's been in the news lately because of the Rev uh, boat, which is uh, certainly the largest super yacht uh, on the water, and she, I believe, has left the Danube and is on her way around through the Med and up to Norway for uh, final fitting. Um, but we'll find all that out from the lady herself. Good morning, and thank you so much for the time to come and talk with us today. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much, and thank you for the invitation. Not at all. As soon as we saw the boat, um, we we had to reach out. <laughs> Although, uh, can I just say that um, the boat is is a tip of the iceberg on this project, which has just so many exciting levels. Was that a sustainability pun? <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> before we before we get get into more detail, can you, uh, for those that that don't know about this project, can you tell us where the original inspiration came from? Sure. Um, so uh, the owner and um, person behind the initiative is uh, Mr. Schellingerecke. He is uh, one of the wealthiest individuals in Norway and he's um, um, spent his entire career uh, focusing uh, on the ocean. First started with uh, commercial fisheries and uh, over the recent years has been heavily involved in the oil and gas uh, industry. And in the recent years, he's obviously uh, grown increasingly uh, interested in sustainability and in particular ocean health. And uh, uh, alongside a number of other people worldwide grown uh, concerned about the state of our oceans and, and what is actually happening as a result of massive amounts of plastics, pollution, climate change, uh, ocean acidification, overfishing, and other problems. And as someone who's made uh, his entire career and fortune from the ocean, he uh, really wants to... Um, to give back. Pay, to give back, mm. uh, yes, absolutely. And, and of course, ensure uh, the future of the ocean for future generations to come. So teaming up with him, my background is in uh, marine biology and I've spent a uh, broader part of my career uh, working for uh, WWF, World Wildlife Fund, and teaming up with him I think has been uh, the best thing I've ever done and I now feel more reassured than ever that we will actually um, make a difference for the ocean. From from looking at the project uh, as a whole, because we got we got different elements here. It's not just about the um, the scientific vessel, uh, but one thing we'll talk about a little bit later is um, the big blue um, and the the ocean hub. But uh, where where to start? Well, <laughs> if we can start on the, the vessel itself, yeah. um, <clears throat> it it certainly caught the news in the superyacht industry because it it really is the biggest out there right now. Um, the hull and the, the basic structure has, has just been launched and is moving up for finishing. But this vessel is, is I, I use the word super yacht, 
to describe it, but it is so much more. I mean, it's an expedition vessel. It's a scientific vessel. It's like something um, off a James Bond set. You've got a moon pool in there. <laughs> um, you've got ex a couple of submarines, two helicopter pads. But uh, also, yeah. I've, I've noticed also in the design, um, there's a lot of attention paid to conference rooms where meetings and, and ideas can be shared. So, um, yeah. maybe presumably in the de design as well, there was a lot thought into how it was designed because of where it needs to go. Absolutely. So I would say uh, she is a one of a kind. Uh, she is definitely uh, the world's most advanced uh, research and expedition vessel, uh, but also a pretty spectacular uh, yacht, as you as you rightfully say. Um, two thirds of the ship uh, uh, is uh, designated for scientific purposes, uh, and it has uh, the most state-of-the-art uh, scientific equipment available uh, to date uh, for undertaking any kind of uh, scientific uh, research. So uh, two-thirds of the time the ship will be uh, traveling around all uh, the world's ocean um, doing uh, science and expeditions and then for the final third of the time it will be in so-called yacht mode where it will be put up for uh, rental uh, or chartering uh, purposes. May I ask, um, in, in the normal build of a boat, um, you, know, you have your designers uh, who work on the hull and the exterior, you've got your interior, interior designers who work with the owners on making it the home on, on the water, as it were. But the design in putting together a vessel like this with, as you say, the most advanced scientific um, equipment available to it, um, how do you how do you design something like that? I mean, the resources you must pull on, you know, between professors here, scientists over there, because everybody would have, I suppose, different opinions. But how do you actually put something like that together? You must have had a huge group of people um, working uh, for a long time in agreeing on what a scientific vessel like this should have. And of course, you're doing this three or four years ago when the bill started. So yeah. they've got to think to, okay, in four years' time, this is where the technology will be because we're and on a rapid... And how can we keep it appealing as a super yacht yeah. for charters? How, how is that done? Yeah. Well, no doubt it's been an extremely complex uh, uh, process, uh, but it helps to have a very dedicated uh, owner uh, behind the uh, initiative. So... Uh, we've modeled the ship, uh, or at least the scientific part of the ship, after uh, the uh, most recent uh, Norwegian scientific ship, Krumprins uh, Håkon. So it has everything that this ship has uh, and uh, quite a bit more. And we've engaged with um, the uh, leading scientific institutions in Norway and their experts to give input uh, in terms of existing equipment and technology that they know is coming or that they will uh, potentially be needing in the years to come and made sure that everything uh, is actually available on this ship. We've also set aside uh, quite a big portion uh, for flexible space so that you can actually do modifications as new technology and solutions are uh, becoming available and that the scientists can also bring on board their own equipment uh, in uh, dedicated space uh, on board the vessel. 
But then, you know, you also need to make the ship um, fit for purpose in terms of uh, being an actual uh, super yacht. And for that, obviously, our owner uh, has a lot of experience and has been very hands-on into every little uh, bit uh, of detail on the ship. And uh, the super designer behind the ship, Espen Eino, uh, is quite the genius uh, when it comes to designing these ships. And, and I, I think um, this has been one of the most exciting projects he's been working on. And it's been a thrill uh, to be working with him. Yeah, we, we were very fortunate to have him on the station uh, a while ago. Well-known um, man in the industry yeah. as a designer. He designs everything. <laughs> Open an envelope, yeah. he pops out. <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's incredible. He really mm. is. Um, can I ask, is, is there a resident scientific team uh, for the boat or will it be totally interchangeable that different teams or, or will you have like your, your own team that will always be with the boat and others come in and join that so the ship will be open to scientists from all over the world and in particular we want to open it up to uh, young unestablished scientists that probably wouldn't get the opportunity to uh, be invited on board a research vessel uh, otherwise um, so you're fostering innovation yeah, yeah, because that's such a critical part of uh, of solving the ocean challenges. You need to really think outside the box and not with traditional mindsets. So we really need uh, a broad group of, of people and scientists engaging and not just uh, traditional scientists. We also want different kinds of uh, tech experts, innovators, NGOs, artists. Uh, and Radio show hosts. To, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, you're, you're most welcome. Uh, and combining these different groups uh, and, and using the ship in many ways as a floating think tank uh, is also uh, part of our, uh, our mandate. So once it sets sail in 2021, it will be uh, very, very exciting to see what we can, uh, we can achieve. But we will also have our own uh, or we do have already our own dedicated uh, science team. Our scientific director, uh, Mr. Alex Rogers, is uh, currently putting together our scientific program and working with the Norwegian uh, Research Council to establish the mechanisms for how we will select the different research projects to be undertaken on board the vessel. It must be very frustrating to have to wait until 2021. It's going to seem like you know a long what? way away. <laughs> 2021 is It'll fly by. just around the corner. Okay. Uh, when you think about the complexity of this ship and everything that we want to do, and also making sure that it's uh, fit for purpose uh, and that we're able to undertake objective scientific research, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> detail that needs to, uh, to be in place before we can, uh, before we can move. Um, and also the... Itinerary planning for this ship is uh, exceptionally com uh, complex because we're combining both uh, traditional research with expeditions uh, and with um, charter. Mm -hmm. uh, and switching between these modes require quite a lot of planning. Yeah. Um, uh, on top of the fact that it, there's also going to be crew, presumably on board, um, which, you know, ha has a whole another side to it as well. Um, just yeah. to, to keep everything running on, on a super yacht as it is. Yeah. So getting people on and off, uh, switching between the different uh, types of crew, uh, varying crew between the different modes of the ship, um, uh, 
getting the scientists on board uh, at the right place at the right time, and also all the other uh, groups, artists, uh, radio show hosts, etc. Uh, it's um, did, it's going to be an interesting challenge. Did you know this before you said yes to the job? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, I think both uh, the uh, the owner and myself we thrive at complex challenges, and the complexity has just been building as we've been working together over the past couple of years. And I think it's uh, it's what um, what makes this project so exciting and and that um, as I said, I think really we uh, finally have a chance to make a real difference. Could I ask one question of you, which um, I know is a question that we've heard from a couple of people. In the build of Rev, what, was there attention given to the sustainability in the process of the actual build itself? Absolutely. I mean, sustainability has been at the core of what we do uh, from day one. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, planning has gone into every little detail down to um, the paint, to the, to the decks, uh, to the actual shape of the ship and the propulsion. Now, obviously, uh, in terms of sustainability and, and yachts or ships in, uh, in general, there is still a long way to go before these ships can be fully uh, sustainable. Um, and even though I really wanted it to be a fully electric ship, uh, we've uh, ended up with um, diesel electric propulsion. And the reason for that is because the technology today simply isn't uh, good enough. And this ship will be out to sea potentially for 120 days consecutively without going to port and going to some of the uh, most remote uh, areas of the ocean. And we really don't want anything to stop operating uh, in, in those kind of uh, conditions. You need the so at this stage, there's still a little bit of way to go on the sustainability, but this will be uh, continuous work in practice. No, I noticed that the, um, the, the decks are using sustainable uh, wood, which is going um, to be planted. And as you say, you've got the electric kind of hybrid uh, propulsion systems as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, the the, I mean, the, can I just reiterate? Rev is is actually just one part of this project. I mean, it caught our view in in Supiot Media, but it is it is the research vessel that it's going to help bring together the the research and the science going on. But there's a much bigger project behind even this enormous vessel itself. Yes, that's absolutely right. So, I mean, our overarching uh, goal is to uh, contribute to one healthy ocean. And we want to do that by uh, improving our knowledge about the ocean, uh, making that knowledge readily available for decision makers and businesses, and finally turning that knowledge into concrete solutions. So. The Rev Ocean Vessel will obviously contribute to increasing our knowledge and piloting and testing out concrete solutions. Uh, we're also building uh, a, a global ocean hub where we want to bring together uh, the key stakeholders connected to the ocean uh, to develop uh, the concrete solutions. And through a global ocean data platform, we want to combine all the knowledge uh, and existing databases that are out there uh, about the ocean to 
really understand what's going on in a much better way. I've, I've often felt that there was one thing that has been lacking in the whole sustainability uh, movement, if I can use that term, is that we've had so many um, you know, fantastic projects going on around the world, but all very disparate. Uh, yeah. with loads of organizations doing their own thing in isolation, maybe meeting yeah. at conferences and, and having a chat about it. But uh, w when I read this about the data platform, you know, the first thought in my head was, well, why hasn't this been done you know, before? It's such a necessary thing that you know, to bring all this information and knowledge together into one source that you mm. can analyze and, um, and build from that. It's uh, it's inspiring, and it should have been done so long ago. It's great to see it's been done now. That's got to be a huge project in in bringing because none of them are all you know they're not all going to be in Excel spreadsheets so you can just paste them together. <laughs> you're going to have no. so many different no, data sources. No, you're absolutely uh, spot on. I mean, this is uh, definitely uh, much needed, and there's a lot of. Uh, great initiatives out there, but not really good at cooperating or sharing data or um, uh, making sure that we're really uh, pulling along in the same uh, direction. And I think uh, several others have, have tried before uh, to build uh, similar platforms, uh, but have uh, failed. And I think um, I mean, there's no guarantee of success uh, for us either. But I think um, we have several things going for us. I mean, obviously, we have a long-term uh, owner who's dedicated to make a difference and to put the necessary funding behind it. Uh, we will uh, provide this uh, uh, open source and for free, uh, which a lot of the other initiatives uh, have not. And we will not do what others can do better than us. Uh, we will cooperate with the best and enable others to do what they do already really well and to do that even better. So cooperating and bringing together uh, the different stakeholders in the ocean space so that we're actually pulling uh, in the same direction. So you basically so, the glue to all of these things. Well, I like that uh, analogy and I really hope that that's what, uh, what, we, can, uh, what we can be. Feel free to and use really, it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I just might do that. Um, it's also, I mean, we've got the, the sea vessel, but there's also a very concrete building that you're looking at as blue. well. The big blue. That yeah. is, in some ways, the, the well, land well, focal point. When I saw this, the first thing that came into my head was it's the UN of sustainability. <laughs> well, it's... it's uh, you can I mean, use that one as well, by the way. <laughs> the UN of, uh, of ocean sustainability. Uh -huh. Um, I, that, I mean, uh, the UN uh, is one of our uh, partners, and obviously in in the Big Blue, we want to uh, tie in everything that we do to the UN agenda, so that we're not duplicating or um, doing projects that aren't of relevance. We want to make sure that it's highly relevant. It's what's on top of the political agenda and what most of uh, the organizations. Uh, are working on and uh, but we really want to connect businesses decision makers NGOs scientists and all these different groups together uh, to um, 
to make sure that we understand the ocean better and based on that understanding that we can turn it into very concrete solutions. Could, could I ask just for listeners who, who don't know what the Big Blue is, um, could you give us a little bit about what is the Big Blue? Sure. Uh, so the intention is to have a land-based uh, facility or building uh, where we bring together key uh, groups that are working in, on, or under the ocean uh, to um, share knowledge, uh, disseminate knowledge, uh, communicate it out in new ways, and also use that knowledge to test out uh, and develop concrete solutions. So, uh, for example, if um, a UN priority for a given year is to develop solutions for mangroves, our intention is then to bring together the world's leading experts on mangroves uh, under the same uh, building to uh, get the state-of-the-art knowledge, identify knowledge gaps, uh, what are the funding gaps, bring in the funders, investors, uh, and also relevant businesses that can help develop the concrete solutions to restore and repair mangroves, uh, but also um, get that additional knowledge that is needed uh, to um, to help bring uh, us uh, to a sustainable a sustainable uh, situation. And has construction started? I, I love the design. Has construction started on this yet? And where is it going to be based? This is now the million dollar question. <laughs> so the design that you're seeing on our website uh, was uh, meant for uh, out uh, where we're located at the moment at Fornebu in Norway. Uh, however, uh, the plans have, have now changed and we're looking for a new um, location. A new location may also mean a new um, uh, design uh, of the building. So in its current form, it's a 250-meter uh, skyscraper uh, intended to be the most sustainable uh, building in the world uh, with all the uh, best technology for doing that. Um, but uh, if it's in a different location, it may take on a different shape. And, and the, um, what's important for us is that it's a, it's a landmark in itself and it's mm -hmm. a building where uh, innovators, young people, scientists, uh, NGOs and others uh, will want to come and also uh, the public you know we want a large proportion of the building to be open to the general public so that they can understand more about the ocean that they can see uh, solutions that are being developed where we can also have co-creation or even um, crowdfunding for particular projects and where you can just get inspiration in terms of all the amazing things that the ocean has to offer. So we'll have a large conference facility uh, and concert hall where we'll have uh, large international ocean conferences, but also uh, concerts, arts expeditions, uh, and other relevant events uh, to inspire people in general about uh, the wonders of the ocean. Do you plan to have any scientific um, work done there? Like, will you have laboratories in the building, um, or is that part of the plan? Already being done on, on the sea. 
Yeah, so uh, probably not. Uh, a lot of the science will be undertaken at sea and, and there's a lot of well-established scientific institutions already, so we don't see any need to duplicate that work. What we really want to do is, as you, uh, as you said, be the glue in many ways. So we want to uh, invite uh, the key scientists or experts from worldwide to, to be co-located in the building for... I don't know, three to six months at a time, focusing on a particular problem or, or the solution to that problem, and then uh, going back to uh, their uh, institution, um, whether it's in Norway or internationally, and continuing on with their work. I think one of the things that uh, rings out to me when, when you were talking was uh, the term concrete solutions. Because certainly we have been following this for the past year, looking at new innovations, looking at new measures, be it in Europe having a single plastic ban or Canada having a single plastic ban. But I certainly, you know, as a mother of four girls, feel a frustration when I see measures coming in that will be 2030 or 2040 or 2050. And I have so deeply felt that what we most need is is to start putting solutions into place as quickly as we can. Um, I, for me, that is the greatest need right now in in the whole sustainability discussion. Is not we know it's happening. We can see it happening. Anyone who has any basis in science, there isn't a discussion. Anyone who has managed to get through this summer has can't be having the discussion of debating whether there's climate change. What we need to put in place as quickly as we can are the solutions within the next five to 10 years that's going to make the difference and as quickly as we can. Um, um, yeah. Which brings no, us nicely. No, I absolutely agree. And, uh, and so one of the things that, uh, or the foundations that we established uh, recently, uh, we've called it uh, the Plastic Revolution Foundation. And um, our goal is to uh, contribute to solving the plastic problem through creating a circular economy uh, in, uh, in the plastics uh, sphere and finding concrete solutions that makes it uh, uh, economically viable to collect the plastics and turn it into alternative materials. So we will start in uh, Accra in Ghana where annually an estimated 270,000 tons of plastic end up in the ocean every year and we'll be establishing land-based uh, facilities and, and paying probably um, local uh, people and communities to collect the plastics and turn it into our facility and then turning it into a fuel that um, that will be uh, sort of a circular economy project so, in itself. And so the revenue from that fuel can then go to pay people to collect the plastics. Exactly. Which is very... And, uh, I mean, I think the only solution to the plastic uh, problem, and, and we need to act now, I totally agree with you. We, can't, we know what the solutions are. We know it's a massive problem. We can't wait until 2030 or 2050. By then, you know, it will just be... It's game over. Uh, yeah, too big of a problem. So we need to reduce our plastic consumption, and each and every one of us can do that uh, today. We don't have to wait uh, we need to find alternatives to the plastics, 
And then thirdly, we need to stop it from entering into nature and into the ocean. So we need to have uh, waste management systems established uh, worldwide for collecting the plastics. And that's in part what we are hoping to contribute to uh, through the Plastic Revolution Foundation. And certainly, just we recently had the opportunity of talking with Race for Water, which is a catamaran that is going around doing a global five-year tour to educate people, and it's running on solar panels and hydrogen cells. But one of the things they're trying to encourage as well is the concept of circular economy. You know, you can motivate people a lot more when they can get something back from it. I mean, many people will yeah. work for the betterment of the globe, but there is a reality that for a lot of people, unless you create a financial incentive for them, it is going to be much harder to to move it based on people's goodwill. And certainly yeah. in Asia, that's one of the big things they were pushing is because they're on their kind of Indonesia leg at the moment, um, that they were really pushing for the, the governments to look at as a way to really promote and get it moving. Um, yeah. is the right incentives. W yeah. When is the Ghana project uh, going to kick off? It's already started. It's already started. Um, and we've uh, recruited uh, the CEO, uh, is um, uh, Mr. Eric uh, Solheim. Uh, he used to be the director of the UN Environment. And um, what we've uh, undertaken a pilot study to get all the basic details uh, about the operating conditions in Ghana, and we're working with uh, three potential technology providers and partners uh, to deliver the on-ground uh, technology for the for the plant. So, we'll, um, what we're deciding on at the moment is who are the best to partner with, uh, should we have one or more facilities, and where should we establish them and then um, to get going, basically. So uh, just looking at your sort of three big focuses of the mission, plastics is one of them. You're yep. also looking at, at the fishing industry as well, I believe, on, yes. on how that functions, because that's another very big part of our marine global economy. Mm. And thirdly, possibly the most difficult of all is the, the carbon carbonification and, and the climate change within. For the, for the fishing side of initiative of, of Rev Ocean, where is the focus going to begin there of moving that? So we're still uh, in the final stages of developing our scientific program and this will decide where we will put our, our focus. Uh, but we will be looking at things like um, how to monitor fisheries better to uh, avoid illegal fishing, uh, how to develop better fishing technology to avoid uh, bycatch and, and harming important uh, bottom habitats, and also getting the right information uh, together to the key decision makers so that we can actually establish um, facts-based uh, quotas for the fishing that is uh, is uh, undertaken but but once again the scientific program will uh, will shape uh, our priorities in this area in terms of climate change and ocean acidification it's obviously a very complex area mm. and one where we can only have a very minimal uh, type of impact but here uh, 
some of the projects that we'll be looking at at the initial stages are natural carbon capture mechanisms in the ocean where blue carbon or um, uh, kelp forest, mangrove forests, uh, the forest of the sea, basically, how much uh, carbon can they actually capture? Can we uh, fix or be part of the solution by restoring uh, damaged um, uh, kelp forest and mangrove forest? And are there additional areas of the ocean where this can be planted out in a large scale to be part of the solution? Uh, it all has to be based on solid science, obviously, which in part is where our initiative comes in, where we want to get the science, pilot out solutions, and then uh, pick uh, the solutions that work best. Although, it, uh, just because we saw this last week, the science for that is is coming along. I certainly read a report last week of looking at growing, particularly in light of the issues in, in the Amazon, looking at how we can um, grow underwater and reforest our oceans. And the potential, uh, the statistic of in California, if they put something like 3% of their waters to being kelp, I'm going to use the word forestation, um, yeah. then that would actually offset the entire agriculture industry of California alone. So yeah. the potential of, of kelp forests are, are huge. I yes, it's, uh, it's definitely huge. Still some uh, scientific uncertainties in terms of the long-term uh, storage of carbon and whether, I mean, how to actually make sure that it stays there if you're harvesting it, how much is being released uh, and so forth. But, but no doubt. It has huge potential, and uh, and it can actually capture a lot more carbon than even uh, rainforests are doing. So, uh, this has been a totally underlooked and underprioritized area uh, globally, uh, and I'm I'm optimistic that this will now change with uh, the uh, science that is already being undertaken, but also a lot of interest from uh, several international companies that are looking into uh, its potential at the moment. Because it's got a commercial value as well for a lot of people, I would think. Yes, of course. Mm. I mean, uh, kelp forest can can be a, a massive contributor, not just to, um, uh, to uh, a climate solution, but also as, as food stores uh, for uh, medicine, for mm. cosmetics, for feed uh, purposes in the aquaculture industry. I mean, so, we haven't even uh, begin to, tip, uh, to dip into this market. So the, potentially you have there another um, circular economy. Abs yeah. Absolutely. And for most of the areas that we're, you know, we'll be operating, uh, it, it will be uh, on circular economy uh, principles. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where, you know, we all need to move into that direction. We're living on a planet with finite resources and we're, we're chewing our way through the planet in a rapid pace. You know, we've lost so much of our natural biodiversity. Uh, we've lost more than 40% of life in the ocean just in our lifetime. And, and it's not looking very promising going forward. So unless we do something and really adopt circular economy principles in all the businesses that are uh, using natural resources as part of their business model, we will not um, succeed or survive in the long term. May, may I ask a question? just wanted to go back to the, the fishery side of things. 
Um, we come from Ireland, as you may or may not know. And uh, fisheries has always been a hot topic, especially between the Spanish and the Irish, where, you know, who can fish where and, and all that. It's very, very politically charged. Yeah. Um, I little doubt that in, in um, your project in, in trying to change how fishing is done, etc., you're probably going to run up against um, political barriers to making change. Um, have you have you put thought into into that side of things and, and how you how you approach the the politicians and not just the science? Absolutely, and I think I mean we will not uh, predominantly be focusing on policy decisions or influencing politics. There's a lot of um, international organisations working on this and and doing it extremely well. So we will not be competing with that. However, we want to. Uh, use our platforms to facilitate uh, uh, dialogue and meaningful exchange between key decision makers, NGOs and scientists and businesses for that matter uh, to really make sure that um, everyone's on the same page, that they have the same kind of information and the most up-to-date information about the complexity of the oceans and also seeing some of the red readily available solutions that exist that can be implemented more or less immediately if the right funding and policy decisions were were made and that's what, where we come in we want to um, enable that uh, in many ways to uh, to happen um, and I think also um, where we can uh, play a big difference is by working with uh, technology uh, companies and, uh, and individual experts piloting out concrete solutions, whether it's modification of uh, fishing gear or um, different uh, kinds of uh, technology to monitor uh, illegal fishing activities, for example. So testing out these different things and using our vessel as a platform for doing that uh, and hopefully then being able to scale it up by working through different partners worldwide that you know will have a benefit from implementing that technology in their businesses. Because in some ways, if you can offer people easy solutions as well, they're much more easy to adopt and bring in. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I, I don't want to underestimate the complexity of... Uh, of global fisheries. I mean, trying to solve this has been a nightmare for so many people uh, and organizations for, for decades, and mm. it's not going to be solved uh, anytime soon. Uh, but I think if, you know, we're able to at least make a small difference by reducing the amount of, of bycatch that is caught in, in fisheries or um, providing enough information so that the right areas of the ocean are protected uh, or, you know, uh, providing information and technology that can um, provide uh, um, different coastal states with monitoring uh, equipment so that they can actually know what's going on outside their coastline, what are the ships that are stealing their fish, uh, and how can these be, uh, be prosecuted using different kinds of... Uh, policy mechanisms or even um, um, uh, social channels. Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, that's a, 
where we can play a small difference. And and there has been, I certainly have seen in the news over the past couple of months, there's been uh, a number of new marine protected areas, be it in Europe, actually also in Southeast Asia. So it's great to see that there is there is progress being made bit by bit. Um, hmm. You know, coral reefs are the other very big side of it that we know about um, that yeah. have taken a huge hit since particularly 2016. But, you know, the more we can do to protect those areas and understand them, uh, yeah. the more we can make a difference. Absolutely. And I think uh, by putting together the right pieces of information and making it readily available for decision makers, NGOs and others, uh, getting that necessary push uh, will be easier, um, is definitely our hope, but also making sure that we're not making decisions based on the wrong facts or by doing what feels good but not necessarily what does good. You need to really uh, protect the areas that need protection and not just areas that are easy for the different states to protect for different kinds of reasons. What about um, uh, we got a, a lot of what we're talking about here is a kind of on the macro scale. What about um, the the smaller things? For example, um, in certain regions, uh, you find indigenous people still doing things like um, blast fishing, where they're using sticks of dynamite, which inadvertently then take up the the coral, etc. Um, will will the the red ocean be looking at tackling that kind of um, uh, fishing, even though it's on a very small scale, the, the damage it does um, can have very big effect. Mm. Uh, would you be looking at that kind of scale? Uh, it's not really in the cards at the moment. I mean, it still depends on what our scientific uh, program comes up with. Uh, but for us, we will be aiming for the more uh, large-scale systemic uh, changes uh, and not... Uh, not these kinds of things where, you know, to be honest, it's not really uh, the major cause of uh, the detriment of the ocean. I think large uh, corporations and, and individuals are more responsible than uh, in, uh, individuals and, and, uh, and, uh, and these communities. Uh, but what we would like to do is, of course, in the different areas that we're traveling to, uh, is to work with uh, local groups, local communities, and provide them with uh, the available tools, information, uh, and bring them on board uh, and work with them to um, to see what kind of solutions we can offer and even uh, develop together. And whether there are uh, local projects that need support somehow, whether financially or with key experts, we want to play that facilitator role uh, to make sure that uh, that these projects can be brought to life. And this is just your starting point. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you all sit down in a room and think, what else can we do? This is, um, this is such a such a huge undertaking, and um, I think it's just phenomenal, isn't it? Very inspiring, mm. and very very much needed at this moment in history. You know. Um, we have, even my children have, are talking all the time in the past six or 12 months from my seven-year-old to my 18-year-old. 
and particularly the seven-year-old will ask, you know, well, what was it like before, you know? And, and I realized... I'm not that old. <laughs> 30 years ago when I was a child, you know, we, didn't, we didn't see this. Yes, honey, there was plastics going in the ocean, but we didn't realize it as in the same way. Uh, and, you know, now she is so aware of what's going on and the changes that are happening. Um, and as I mentioned, we have, you know, young people like Greta Thunberg who are looking at our generation saying, you've got to do something now. So it is um, hugely inspiring that there is somebody out there doing something now and looking at what differences you can effectively do. Um, I, yeah. yeah, envy you such well, an amazing you. project. I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled that you're, uh, you're equally excited about the, the project as, uh, as I am or we are. And I really hope that you'll continue to report on what we're doing and, of course, uh, uh, hold us to our promise uh, that we really contribute to uh, One Healthy Ocean. Um, because at this point in time, we still haven't showed any results and, and we need to be scrutinized as, uh, as everyone else. Uh, but we will make a difference. Yep. No, I, I have to say I was looking at the design for Big Blue. And I actually figured out where our studio would go in there. Wow, <laughs> ah, there you go, there you go. It's only little space. It's, it's right at the top near the roof garden. <laughs> um, Perfect, and we can add in small ocean sounds as you're uh, streaming your show too. Uh, no, I, I, I made that mistake when we were having uh, one of our, child, our second child, we had a home birth. And um, when uh, we were going through that, I decided to be, you know, I was thinking as a husband, I should put on some calm, re relaxing music. And I, I chose ocean music, which um, was badly timed. <laughs> Whales honking when oh. you're in the middle of labor is <laughs> yeah. not what you want to hear. <laughs> no, I think I... Well, I don't even know what I um, I really wanted in the middle of my labor, the, just to get the baby out. <laughs> yeah. You just don't want to be distracted at that point. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, thank you, Nina. Thank you so much for your time. I I, I don't want the conversation to end. Um, we will we we will stick with this, and um, we look forward to talking to you hopefully again, and certainly talking about the project. Uh, step by yeah. step, we Keep look forward to following what you're doing and where you're going. Um, and congratulations to you all for you know, being part of just something that truly looks like it's going to help make a difference. I think it's a game changer. Oh, I think it's a game changer in a big way and uh, very, very badly needed right now. Um, oh, thank you. And I, you know, if you're... Uh, if you come up with any great ideas that we should be looking into, if your listeners have particular um, ideas or projects or technologies or whatever, please send them our way and we will definitely uh, consider it. Uh, this, I mean, to save uh, the ocean, we need everyone all over the world to contribute and no idea is too stupid, too small, too big uh, to be considered. So um, be careful. I have your email address. <laughs> 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 but no, it's great that it's a it's an open door policy, and um, uh, as you say, no idea is too stupid to to at least be looked at and, and considered. But bringing um, together the only stupid thing would be not to consider it. 
I'm, I'm going to use that and one. And <laughs> harnessing harnessing the 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 global community is is I think one of the biggest tools that we have, as we have yep. seen bit by bit. The more we can bring to get people together um, um, on making a difference, it will yep. make the difference. Thank you again, so, Nina. Thank you so much. Uh, this was you. Nina Jensen. I look forward to talking with you again. Nina Jensen, the CEO of Rev Ocean. That's R, capital R, capital E, capital V. Please look it up. This is, as we started, it, this is not just one massive super yacht. This is one massive, innovative initiative to make a difference to our oceans. So thank you so much for being on board with us today. And thank you for listening to Super Art Radio. Now it's time for a little bit of music. And then after that, we're going to the news. <laughs>